You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. One of my favorite guests, Jeff Lerner. He always has great ideas for how anybody, whether you're 19 years old or 70 years old, how you could start a multi-million dollar business. He's been on the podcast many times before, and I have a, I have a saying, and I learned this actually, gosh, I learned this in 1995 when one of my mentors at the time told me this. Your best new customers are your old customers. So at the time, my client for a business I had was HBO. I, would, I built their website and I was building many websites for them. So what does this technique mean? It means I go back to HBO and I say, hey, is there any other software services we could do for you other than just the website? And the answer is usually yes. And I've been applying the same strategy with the podcast, which is that I know which guests I enjoy the most combined with which guests generate the most interest from listeners. And I can see that from reviews and downloads and so on. And Jeff Lerner is a great guest on, on all these fronts. Basically, people need to figure out how to make more money in their lives. The average multimillionaire, as you've heard me say, has, has seven different streams of income, according to the IRS. And Jeff has a lot of ideas on how to get those different streams going. So here he is, Jeff Lerner, the master of entrepreneurship. I've been waiting with bated breath, man. Excellent. Well, Jeff, you've been on a couple times. You've been on three times before. This is your fourth time on the podcast. You teach entrepreneurship. You are an entrepreneur. Your entrepreneur students go on to great success. First, just real briefly, let's cover what types of businesses do you teach? That And I'm, I've seen people go from zero to hero and specifically zero to like, million, million and a half, two million in revenues in their first year. And I'm not, I'm not trying to sell you or anything. This is just, I have begged my kids to take your course and <laughs> they don't listen to me. They don't do it, but just real briefly describe the kind of business or businesses you teach people to do. Like I tell my neighbor's kids to do this. Like I want, I want, I think this is such a great way to do business, but just I'll let you describe it. Sure. So, so what, what we try to do at, at Entra uh, which is my company, Entra Institute, is our teaching um, portion of our company, is, is you know, really all things entrepreneurial. Where our, our mission statement is to empowering physical, personal, and professional excellence through entrepreneurial education, right? Like we're, I believe that becoming more entrepreneurial is the, you know, the cure-all for both mi micro and macro challenges that the world faces and that we face in the world. Yeah, like in the and past year, 55 million people applied for unemployment. So clearly yeah. corporatism, which I've defined as diff differently than capitalism, corporatism has failed. And it's uh, mm -hmm. corporations are not as loyal as they led you to believe. And people have to literally choose themselves for success because no one else is going to choose them. So choose, choose yourself, folks. And there's a yes. book by that title, right? <laughs> there is a uh, book. I forgot who wrote it. Yeah. 
it's it's uh, it's pretty good. But but no. So what what I do, you know, and and we're you know we're a young company. We're only a couple years old, and we're scaling and growing, and um, you know, so there's a lot there's a lot that we do now that we didn't even do six months ago, and there's an even even more that we're going to do in a year or two that we don't do now. So I'm trying to like window, you know, moment in time, answer the question. Well, well, give me like one business model and let's go through that real quickly. Right. Of like, what kind of business do some of your students do? Like, so I remember- So there's basically three things I think on the internet that you can generally describe as like, here are the established evergreen business models that are, you know, they have enough history and validity that they're not going to change in a year. Um, and they are doable. They have that magical lifestyle flexibility component that you, as long as you have a laptop and some basic tools, you can go do them anywhere in the world, right? And we chunk those into a, being an affiliate marketer, which essentially means creating digital properties that allow you to put links in to sell other people's stuff and get paid referrals. There's being an, some sort of an agency or consultant even where you provide either services or knowledge-based consulting to, you know, it's more, B, more of a B2B business model. And let me ask you about that one, because this is one that I've recommended to a lot of people, which mm -hmm. is go to pick a, a, a small mom and pop kind of industry, like go to a personal injury lawyer, like a law mm -hmm. firm in your town that handles personal injuries and take over their social media and tell them, you know, you'll increase their customers, do it for free for the first one. And this is all based on stuff you and I have spoken about. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you get testimonials and then start scaling, go to other personal injury lawyers or law firms in, in other towns and other States and so on. And I think you mentioned one, uh, mom and pop couple, uh, or, you know, one couple that is, is, is doing this and they quickly got to millions in revenues doing personal injury lawyers or dentists or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was, I, I guessing maybe you're talking about my friend up in New York who, yeah, focused on personal injury lawyers and, you know, has a seven figure per year business. It's him and his wife. And they and do Instagram and- They focus on Facebook mostly for both their own marketing, Facebook and a lot of SEO, like Google property stuff. Yeah, so people don't even think that, uh, why would a personal injury lawyer need social media? Well, people search on Google for personal injury lawyers or on Facebook for it. And the, the ones with the best content will pop up to the top. Yeah, yeah, and, and the search engines, and, and it's not only the ones with the best content when it's that the search engines are most likely to show you in the first place. Yeah. If you have right. the best content. So you'll, you, you, you reduce, you not only beat your competition, you reduce your competition by having. Right. And, and, and yeah. Google will also show you people in your area. So you're not mm -hmm. trying to rise up to the top of the country, but just the top of your town or County or state or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, as an aside, I, I, in 2000, late 2012, early 2013, I started doing what you just described. I started, I actually started by calling plumbers and saying, hey, let me help you get more calls, you know, on the Google map, because I know those Yellow Pages ads aren't doing it for you anymore. And in, you know, five and a half years, that grew to a business that serviced 11,000 small and medium-sized businesses in the U.S. and Canada. Like it's, it, like to your point, and that, that business did about $35 million in sales before I sold it. Like well, the can I ask how much you sold it for? Uh, about 2 million. That's good. Yeah. And because it kind and, of ran itself probably. Yeah, I mean, and mostly what I was selling was the quarter million dollar a month um, MRR, the recurring revenue on people on subscriptions. And even then I sold it for less than I could have because I was so ready to do what I'm doing now, which is start my education company. I basically sold it to the very first person that was interested. That's great.
Yeah. And what are some other like kind of the, I love these like mid-sized industries that are underserved by, you know, Silicon Valley. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, anything. So the, so here's a statistic for you. And, and I'll tell you where I got this statistic. If people want to get it from the source, this, I had Brandon Dawson on my Millionaire Secrets show several months ago, and he is Grant Cardone's partner in Cardone Ventures. Uh-huh. which is his business that buys, you know, essentially takes positions in small and medium-sized kind of main street businesses. And he was, I don't, I don't remember the exact statistic, but it was something like 60% of all U.S. GDP comes from a, a cluster of industries, which are small healthcare, which is like chiropractor, dentists, orthodontists, dermatologists, right? Not, not big hospital systems, but you know stuff that you can't access through the stock market. And home services, plumbers, roofers, electricians, carpet cleaners, pool cleaners, right? And those, and then within those categories, obviously there's so many subsets. Um, and then you obviously have you know other professional service types like accountants and attorneys. And I mean, it, the, every one of these industries, you can become not even the category expert, but just uh, a specialist. Who, a competent specialist and probably replace virtually any income that anybody with a job has short of like Jamie Dimon or something. <laughs> it's so fascinating and that it's so, but it, they're so unsexy that nobody thinks like, oh, you know, social media is going to help these people. Like what would you do for plumbers that would get them more customers? Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, I would, I would give them social properties sufficient to generate what are called social signals because social signals are are what are what the pings that the that the search algorithms detect and go okay this plumber is more relevant and and verifiable because they have you know facebook is sending off this many signals and twitter is sending off this many signals and it, it triggers the algorithm and then for those types of businesses um, it's all about driving up their, their standing and placement in the map ecosystem. So on Google map, if you can get them higher up on Google map, ideally you can get them up into the top three of their locally relevant niche search. So like Birmingham, Alabama, septic cleaning or something, right? How do you get them? What do you mean get them higher up on Google maps? So Google map is its own search engine. Mm -hmm. Effectively, you take all the local businesses, which a, a local business in terms of go, how Google perceives it is a a unique combination of a name, address, and phone number. And you could argue now that a website is a fourth required data point that provides any sort of commercial service, right? Hmm. Um, and essentially they have all of those whatever data points are organized in a directory structure and they have it geo, you know, geo organized by location. And that's its own searchable database that has its own search engine, which is the Google map. And so when you search for a local business, they, it puts at the top of the search results page or what's called a SERP, S-E-R-P, search engine results page. At the top of the SERP, it puts what's called the three pack. And we've all seen this. It's the little thing on the search result that has a little mini map that you can click and zoom in on. And it has three recommended businesses in sequence under the map. Now, if you click on the map, it'll open up the maps interface and it'll have maybe 10 or 15 businesses and then you can thumb through the pages and so forth. But if you can get to that, those top three where they don't have to click through to the maps interface to see you, you crack the code, you, you get all the marbles, right? You get like 80% of all the calls.
How do you take like a dentist and move them up on Google Maps on the search? Uh, there's a few few different things. And, and to be clear, I sold that agency in 2018. I'm not the expert that I was two or three years ago. But um, you still, it still, it does require, it uh, involves social signals, which is why those social media properties are so important. And you're right. It's like, people are like, well, well, nobody's going to choose a plumber because they posted a picture of taking their kids to the park on a Saturday afternoon. You're right. But somebody's going to choose a plumber because they found the plumber and they need a plumber. And they're more likely to find the plumber because Google liked it when you posted a picture taking your kids to the park on a Saturday. Mm. And they, that gave you some, you know, incremental advantage in the algorithm it's also uh, what they call NAP consistency, na name, address, and phone number consistency across all the other databases that list business information. Mm -hmm. So whether it's whitepages.com, Yellowbook, Yellowbot, Dex, City Search, Manta, Hot Frog. I own a directory called smallbusiness.info. There's like hundreds of these directories out there. Some of them are general business directories. Some of them are niche directories like, you know, 1-800-Flowers.com, for example, is actually a directory that has a back end of all these different florists and stuff. And so you get, you clean up all your data, your, think of it as your footprint across the internet. You clean all that up and make sure that when Google scans all these data points, they find consistency and then they can get confidence. And 90% of why Google recommends a business is just because they're confident that they exist in the place and at the location and at the phone number that they, they think they exist at. Because that's all Google's looking for is to not send a user to a bad phone number or a bad address so right. that the next time somebody wants a plumber, they're going to use Bing instead. Well, I didn't even, does Bing still exist? Well, I don't, Bing or Apple Maps or, you know, whatever, yeah. something other than, they just get mad at Google because they got a bad search result. That's, not, consistency is 90% of what Google cares about. And, and they if, don't even look at reviews. If you actually look at the listings of businesses, sometimes the top ranked business has like 4.2 stars. And then you go to the map and there'll be some business on the second page that has like 5.0 stars. It's not, it's not rating. That's interesting. I wonder if they do that on purpose because 5.0 stars, maybe they, they figure that's fake. Well, for that, they look at the number of reviews. I mean, if somebody manages to fake a five-star review across 300 different, you know, Google users and Google's pretty smart about, you know, distinct users, bots and fake users and, you know, they, they know the demographics and, you know, they know if the user profile is connected to an email account that actually gets emails and responds to emails and has normal English dialogue. And like, they're pretty smart. And if somebody could beat the system at that level, I think Google's willing to let them win because they're so smart. But And and on uh, Instagram, you, you, uh, would your agencies or your students' agencies do stuff with that? Like, what would you put up for like a dentist's uh, uh, Instagram? Totally depends on the business category. Um, Instagram is very qualitatively different in that it, it actually, a dentist Instagram potentially could have very little to do with dentistry and very much to do with the dentist. It's like mm -hmm. people want to go there to get to know the person and feel the person's energy and, you know, see the person's vibe and like Instagram's real touchy feely, to be honest, it kind of annoys me, but you know, I can't beat him. I have to join him. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, YouTube for certain, for service trades where you're worried about the competence of the practitioner, mm. YouTube, that oh my sense. word. You get a dentist making some YouTube videos about, you know, what what's a veneer, like how do you put in veneers? Who is Who are veneers right for? How do veneers affix to the teeth? What happens to your real teeth when we put on veneers? Like you could make a whole YouTube channel called like, 
veneers 101. And that dentist is going to dominate his market. Guarantee it. Is there anything else? Like, should they buy YouTube ads or like, what can they do to kind of, if they're not getting the, the YouTube views they wanted to get? Well, here's the thing. Do you need you? I mean, I care about YouTube views because I sell online products and because I actually monetize my YouTube and I like the ad revenue. But does a dentist really care about YouTube views or does he care about what YouTube is doing in his market for his positioning, his brand credibility, his reputation management, his pricing power? Hmm. You know, if you're the if you're a, a dentist in a small town, you know, and you have six competitors and you suddenly you're known. And like, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. I live in a town with 200,000 people and people know, man, there's this local guy who's like all over YouTube. He's Jeff, this Jeff Lerner guy, right? I get, I, I, people stop me at the gym. They say hi to me at the gas stations now. And like, I'm like a little celebrity in this town, hmm. right? If I, and I say it all the time to my friends, I'm like, you know, you're lucky I'm not a real estate agent. <laughs> I would own this town if I was, if I was a real estate agent, an attorney, an accountant, any, you know, any of the, I, I feel like there's not a, virtually any trade that I couldn't dominate my market in, not because I know the trade the best, but because I know digital marketing the best. Have you tried, uh, cause I've seen your YouTube ads, like, have you tried targeting locally and seeing if that's a effective way to target? For me, it makes no difference. Uh, it wouldn't make sense to, to bother. Right. But I mean, with my agency, I've done enough local targeting for different types of businesses to know that it's, strikingly powerful and strikingly affordable for most businesses. Yeah, that's so interesting. Uh, and so that was the two business models, affiliate marketing and kind of these social media agencies. What's the mm -hmm. third? The third is the knowledge business. So like, and we were kind of talking about this when you, you came on my show last, uh, the ability to monetize things that you know and are interested in mm. is so much bigger than I think most people realize. And I think most people have a very narrow view of who can actually get paid for their competence. And, you know, we come from a model where, you know, Harvard has, or, or you know, let's pick a university, you know, your university has 50,000 students and 500 professors, right? And so the ratio of students to teachers is, is pretty low. Um, on the internet, it, there's, a, there's a big gap between those who know enough to teach and those who are actually willing to do the work of being in the knowledge business. And that right there makes it so that you're simply your willingness to put yourself out there position, you know, claim some expertise and be like, hey, I'm Joe Piscopo and I'm an authority on this. Right there, you put yourself in a pretty, a pretty elite group because so many people on the internet are actually just scared to step up and be like, hey, I know a lot about a thing and I'd love to teach you. Mm -hmm. And then the knowledge business, the barrier to entry in the knowledge business is so much lower than people realize. And I'm not inviting people, you know, charlatanism to people to come in and say, talk about being authorities and things they don't know, but have a more, um, fair assessment. Think about it. You didn't require that your math teacher in high school, you know, you didn't need to know that he was one of the 25 best algebra practitioners in the world in order to trust his, you know, Pythagorean theorem, or I guess that's geometry, but, <laughs> um, you, you know, failed and, math and, class. <laughs> yeah, I, clearly that wasn't, that, there's a reason I do other things, but, um, you don't need, the standard is not as high as people think is my point. Yeah. So here's the question I have for you which is, and, and this is just the beginning in the sense that we've talked about some of these business models before in great detail. And I've told people, I've described kind of specifically to some people over the past year, do this, this, and this, like this guy, Jeff Lerner says, or 
listen to the podcast I had with him or take his course. I've sent people to your course. Some of them took it, some of them didn't. But none of the people I've spoken with have actually taken one move towards starting a business. Like I know one person, a very close person to me, who I begged her, just, you wanna figure out how to make money, you wanna pay your rent, just do, it's easy to just try starting this business. It'll take, just to experiment to try. And she never did it. And she does, she works the cash register at a paper retailer. And I'm not, that's her choice. Uh, this person's very close to me, I love her. But why don't people, is it me? <laughs> like, why don't people listen to my advice? Because these businesses, like if I was 20 years old or 25 or even 50 and I needed to start a business fast, I would totally do one of these business models. We've, we've talked about them. I've, mm -hmm. I've seen them in your courses. I know about them. I've had experience with them. This is what I would do. Why don't people listen to me to do it? Well, I'm glad somebody else out there experiences my daily frustration. Um, I mean, I, th this is the, the infinitely, you know, call it the trillion dollar question or whatever. I mean, what, what's the value of a fulfilled human life? Like, it's it's my endless vexation is like, and I, I I've developed all this language and psychology and and my own vernacular to 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 tackle the exact question you're asking, because I'm I'm in the I'm a purveyor of the information. I, I thought I was going to be in the business of just giving people the information on how to do this stuff. I very quickly realized that's not the business. The business is in helping people become the person that will do this stuff. And um, Entra, my company, I've realized, not, not by design, but certainly now by intent, is a personal development company that happens to teach entrepreneurial business models. Because getting people to the point where they, they like you say, they, they have all the qualitative aspects of being an entrepreneur. They have the grit, they have the drive, they have the self-belief, they have the confidence, they have the ability to see a vision for their life that is different than the current vision of their life and, and to, to work towards closing that gap consistently over time in the face of self-doubt and, and maybe doubt of others and criticism of others and like all those things that probably are very real in investing too. Um, although I think in some ways it's a more complex problem with starting a business because there's just you know, more moving parts and probably more ways that the problem shows up. Yeah, and you have to invest more time and there's a little bit of reputation management when you're dealing with yeah, a customer. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and customers. I mean, you gotta take care of them. But but the reality is most people, it's not taking care of customers that does them in. 99% of people, to your point, never get to the point of having a customer. Yeah, I say to, to people, just go to the local dentist or the local eye doctor and say you'll do this for free for two, three months take over all their social media, you know, take over, take over Instagram, YouTube, and, and mm -hmm. their Facebook community page, not their personal page, but just their business page. And, uh, no harm, no foul, no good comes from it. But you see if, if you double their customers or, or increase their customers, you don't even have to charge them. You just want a testimonial and they don't, they don't even approach yeah. one person. I could approach, I could go to my next door neighbor right now. Who's a, who's an immigration lawyer. And I can say, let me just run your Instagram. He would say, of course, James, I'll let you run my Instagram. Now, I don't, I don't need to do it, but I could tell my kids to do it. They won't do it. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it is, uh, it is very challenging question. And, you know, I've come up with these models for ways, ways of thinking about and trying to teach the answer to the question, or at least 
ways to see the question so people can answer it for themselves. I, I literally, I feel like some hybrid of a, of a therapist, a, a, a psychologist, well, I guess those are often the same thing, a personal development guru, and, and to some degree a marketer now who has certain skills and he can talk about those skills. But um, trying to get people through that question is, is the hardest thing. And, and I've come up with some different models and ways of talking about it. One of them is I'm very uh, quick to dif differentiate between the concept of man-made odds and what I call math-made odds, just because it's, you know, mnemonically oh, this is interesting. close. Man-made odds versus math-made odds. Math-made odds say, you know, whatever, 70 or 80% of all businesses fail in, you know, five years. And, um, but then if you go to like certain types of businesses, you know, it's like 99% of people are not successful with their digital online business. And, you know, only 65% of brick and mortar or 35% of brick and mortar are successful. Like whatever, the odds are terrible. The odds are terrible for all of it, but you know, great. So what compared to what, like that's, those are the math made odds. And if we're playing, um, you know, if we're playing blackjack, well, then we have to be really, really concerned with the odds that are determined by the mathematical set of values that we're working with, right? The cards dictate the odds in, in, in blackjack. In life, you dictate the odds. They are man-made odds. You make your own odds. And it is a competition. I, I, I generally eschew living by comparison. You know, comparison is the thief of happiness. And I don't want to say, well, like, how am I doing compared to 100 other people? But the reality is when you enter a field that has its own finite economy and you want a chunk of that economy so that you can make a life doing the thing, you are now competing with everyone else in that economy and you have to get a big enough slice of the pie that it equals the size of your life or else you can't make a go of it. Um, it's so easy to win those games. I say that, I don't say that to be cocky. I don't say that because I think that I have certain gifts other people don't have. I say it because most people uh, there's a there's a great saying in one of my favorite books, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, by T. Harv Eker, which it's talking about rich and poor, or it's it's polls that it talks about the difference between rich and poor, which what well, politically incorrect or not. It says rich people play the money game to win, poor people play the money game not to lose. Hmm. And I will say that about just about any game that you choose to play. Most people are playing not to lose. You go in and play to win you're no longer competing with most people that are playing not to lose. There's a show on TV right now called Undercover Billionaire. Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it. Is it good? Yeah, it's, it, so it, I'm actually not, I watched the first episode and was like, oh, this is amazing. Plus I had Grant Cardone on my show and interviewed him. He's, he's one of the participants uh -huh. right before it released. And so I was like all you know heated up to watch it. And now I'm forcing myself to wait until it's done so that I can binge watch it with my kids because I want them to see what hustle looks like. What's but the premise? The premise is that you take three, uh, not necessarily billionaires, but like really successful, you know, multi-million dollar business owner type people, and you drop them into towns where they, they have to change their names, assume new identities, um, and you drop them into a town where they've never been, they, know, they don't know anyone, they can't be who they are, you give them $100 and a car. And they have, I think, 90 days to, to make a million bucks. Oh man, I would totally want to go on this show. I want to go on the show too, so bad. But my point is, when you watch Grant, and, and I've, I've had other people telling me how it's going, and I saw the first episode, Grant Cardone is not walking around going, oh, well, statistically, this is highly improbable. He's making his own odds. He's like, okay, if I do this, 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 and this, 
I got a really damn good shot. And I happen to know that when I take action on something, it's at a whole different level than most people. And listen, Grant Cardone, he's not like this, you know, he's not like Bobby Fischer or Albert Einstein. He's like, he's just a super like kind of brash, scrappy dude. And he's got, he's making his own odds. He is playing that game by man-made odds. And I don't have to see how it ends. I already know that in 90 days or whatever happens, he's going to build something that most people would consider an incredible life for themselves. And what he do you did think it with a hundred bucks and a beat up old truck in Pueblo, Colorado, where the median income is $21,000 and he doesn't know anyone. Wow. So what do you, what do you, like, first off, how is he going to sleep the first night? Do you think? Uh, I, I don't, I don't know, but I mean, I think, well, what would I do? And, and, and to make sure I don't just drop the ball on your question. My point is when you understand what, how most people, what the denominator of any odd set is when the denominator is populated with human beings. And I don't mean to be like misanthropic here, but when you understand what a low standard that is to say, well, the denominator is just other people. Like it's not that freaking hard. It's why you wrote the book, skip the line. Like if every, you're right. Everybody can't skip the line, but as yeah. oh, you don't not everybody. That's the point. The that's line is line. everybody. Yeah. Everybody is the line. Right. Right. And you can step, most people won't even step out of the line and skipping in a line is not a possibility unless stepping out of a line comes first, most people are too scared to even step out of the line. So you're not competing with most people. It's, that's my answer. Right, and, and you, make, you make an interesting point too, which is that, okay, so, so first there's all the people who won't even try. Then there's the people who will try, but they're in a line too of, of you know, they're, pro- they're probably doing, you know, if, 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 if you do everything wrong in your business because maybe you never started a business before, or maybe you don't have the skills, different skill sets, you didn't learn them, or you didn't think it was important to learn them, or you didn't even know they existed, these skill sets, you're gonna fail as well. So there's lines, even it's like a fractal of lines. Like every step <laughs> of the way, there's another line. Exactly. And and I do that. I walk people through an equation where I say, okay, let's take, let's do the man-made odds analysis of this situation. And you know, not you. First, we cut out ninety percent of the people that aren't even really trying, and then you have the ten percent, and then we cut out eighty percent of those. It's usually an eighty twenty, you know, cut yeah. you make, right? And you only got to go through a couple cuts, where twenty percent of twenty percent is four percent, and twenty percent of that is 08 percent, and twenty percent of that is point oh what point one six percent, right? Like yeah. now, that's it. You only got to what do make that cut twice? Yeah, three times. And, and, and there's always a way to, to make the cut. Like how many people are, you know, meditating in the morning so that their, their mind is as neuroplastic as possible before they start to learn. How many people are willing to make outbound phone calls as part of their process or whatever that eliminates 80% of people that are scared of rejection and how many, you know, right. It's like easy to whittle the odds down. You, You know what I noticed too, is that people sometimes know that there's a list of things that businesses do but then they do them in the wrong order. So like, you know, everybody I talk to, okay, I I see your skill set, I see your passion, here's a business you could start. And the first thing that many people say to me as an example is, um, well, what if the trademark's taken? I'm like, well, don't think about it then. So <laughs> don't funny. even think about that for one second before you try to get a customer. And I'm like, what if, um, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> You know, well, I have to. Oh, the domain, also, the domain name. Yeah, domain name. Whatever that's I can't get a good dot com. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I'll start it later because I've got to do these other things right now. And uh, uh, you know, I don't have my license. Oh, trust me. I, I mean, I know the yeah, list. Yeah, do you need man. a license? I don't have my What's... business licensing. I don't have my tax ID number. 
Um, I don't, you know, I don't. Oh yeah, that's I a need big to get thing. QuickBooks. But by, by the way, everyone th is fooled into thinking you need to incorporate before starting your business. You don't really like. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever incorporated once before actually having customers and making revenues, and then I would just switch it from my personal account to a business account months later when I finally would set up a corporation. Yeah, I think there's. I think there is something about. You know, for a lot of people, here's the thing. You and I, we don't need to do any of that crap. We just need to go out there, start gathering data and making an impact in the market. And then we have once we have proof of concept, we go, okay, let's let's treat this like a business. But for there, there is a component for some people who've never treated something other than their job like like being they've never been a professional about something that wasn't their job. Right. There is a thing about being a professional. And starting with I the see. intention, you know? And so psychologically, it can be powerful to make micro commitments like setting up a bank account and incorporating and, you know, beginning with the doing things that only make sense if you're actually going to make money. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side by side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit, where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides, like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for fourteen hours, and they they were willing to pay for everything for me. So. I, I, at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets 
to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I was just talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Okay, so now what are you seeing in the in the landscape? Like what's what's changing? What's, you know, are 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 people being successful starting these businesses? What's happened? You know, what's, what are the opportunities post pandemic now? We haven't spoken about, you know, new opportunities mm -hmm. since before the pandemic. Yeah, it's interesting. And I was actually telling my wife today, we were driving home on a, from a, we went to Vegas and we had about an hour and a half in the car. And I was telling her, I was like, it's so exciting. I've been doing Entra for two years. We started selling training just about 22 months ago, right? So it's not a long time frame to evaluate. Um, and, you know, the first day we sold three courses, right? Now we sell three, 400 a day, right? So it's like 80% of the people I have as a, as a sample group have come in in like the last six or eight months since we've really blown up. So I'm just now getting to see a lot of results that people are getting because we're not the BS guys on the internet that are promising you some 90 day microwave result. It takes time. And, um, 
you know, I had a, we had a lady post in the group this morning. She said, okay, I need, I need to post. I've been holding off on posting about my results, but I've made a, at least one sale every single day now for 40 consecutive days. Wow. So I'm posting about it, right? Like I, this is my first celebration post. And I'm starting to see these things happen. And, you know, the reality is it does take time. It do, this, that's why most people don't stay with it long enough. You know, What's she selling, can I ask? I actually don't even know. Um, I know she lives in Costa Rica. You know, she's a great illustration of my point. You can do this from anywhere in the world. She basically lives on a beach in Costa Rica. Um, and she's selling products primarily to U.S. audience. And, uh, you know, as far as what we're seeing, and that's just one example. I mean, what, what we're seeing is, and it's not like, we shouldn't be surprised by this. It's like, it works. That's what we're seeing. It works. People are getting results. They're making money. They're changing their life. They're changing their lifestyle and they're, they're changing their belief set. They're, yeah, it just works. I don't know. And, and it works. It works now. It worked well before the pandemic. It works great now. It worked during the pandemic. Like it, it's, it's not even that it's like a response to the pandemic. It's just that it's like pandemic neutral, like pandemic had zero impact online. I mean, yeah, you could say, oh, it, it actually drove more people online, but it also drove more, more merchants online. Yeah. So, but the net, so, right, net so is, social it's media like, agencies became important. Affiliate marketing became mm -hmm. more important. Knowledge, the internet's online great. knowledge became more important. And I don't know, to your point, I don't know why everybody in the world isn't saying, okay, what's the single, there's probably only two things that could change people's quality of life on, on we'll call it like the, the top tier type of change. For some people, it would be like solving a health challenge, right? Like dropping weight or curing their diabetes or something. And right along with that would be changing the way they make money. Yeah. To something more flexible. And I don't know why everybody in the world isn't obsessed with what I teach, but you know, maybe that's because I'm not doing my job well enough. I no, but I think you're right though. I think a lot of people feel they can't do something or they need to have something established and then they'll do it. But the problem is the establishment knows this. The establishment always only pays enough so that you're working super hard and then you're tired and then you sleep and then you wake up and go back you have to go back to that job. There's no mm -hmm. extra time. So you have to really fight hard to find the time. Like you have to give up something to find the time, you know, to, to make that first step. And so that's really important. Yeah, it, I agree. Um, and again, it's, it's, you know, this is the endless frustration of my life is that anybody can, but everybody won't. Um, but I, I just think that you have to change Oh, there's so many different pieces to it. So much of it is environmental. I mean, you know, as a, as a, let's call it a doctor who writes prescriptions for people that want to, that say they want to change their life. Like they come into my office and they're like, well, doc, I got a pain over here in my, you know, I haven't, I, I missed my kid's little league game and I don't want that pain anymore. Right. How do I change things? So that I don't have to ask my boss to go home early to see my kid's game. I'm right. I write the prescription. Like you're saying, like, well, start an agency or become an affiliate, you know, start a blog and post affiliate links or whatever. Um, it's, it's environment. Environment is the single biggest thing I have found that makes, is the right prescription for most people. You have got to dramatically change your environment. And that's where as a social species, as a species that is fundamentally tribal in our origin, and we relied on social networks for so long just to survive and getting cast out of the village was even worse than death. It's so hard for people to change their environments. They need to cut off their negative friends. They need to, you know, move out of their parents' house. They need to, sometimes they need to get a damn divorce. Like 
Changing your environmental stimuli is the number one thing that most people need to do. And it's the number one thing that most people resist in, in my experience. Yeah, I remember one time uh, some friends of mine pitched me and my business partner on a business idea. And uh, it sounded really exciting. It was all, you know, fast paced. We're going to make a lot of money. And, but then I was talking to my partner afterwards and I was saying, you know, are these people the the winners of the world? Like <laughs> we've seen them lose time after time after time. Or is it really now their magic time that we should absolutely follow them? Cause we had followed them in the past and it never worked out. Right. And, uh, you know, and I think it's important to think like that. Like you, you, you really are the average of the five people you spend your time around. And that's a truism. It's a cliche and a truism as most cliches are. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, it's important to know now. Um, I mean, what, you know, right now you teach these courses. I, I know you've, you've built some software to help facilitate, uh, some of these agencies or affiliate marketing programs. Just what, what to make it even easier for these people to start mm -hmm. their businesses. But like, what's what, I don't know specifically what the software is. Yeah. Yeah. I'll talk about that. And, it, it, and even before I talk about it, I'm going to actually undercut myself in terms of the conversation. Cause I'd love to say that, oh man, I built this software and it is it is solving every problem and like anybody that wants a hole needs to buy my drill. But um, actually, I, I sometimes think that the more shortcuts and, and wonderful tools we build, we meaning just the, you know, the entrepreneurs of the world that solve problems, um, the, the actually the, the, we deflate success rather than create. Because look, I crushed it out of the gate, man. When I went online in 2008, I was a beast. I was 400,000, almost $500,000 in debt. I was overweight. I was depressed. I was going through a divorce. I had just gotten evicted from my apartment. I only because my soon to be ex-wife's parents were nice enough to let me live in their spare bedroom uh, on the condition that I never entered her bedroom where she was going to live. Um, like that was my situation. And I went online to figure out how to make money online. And I didn't have funnel builder software. I didn't have you know, AI that'll generate pre-written emails for me based on topic and intent. Like I didn't have any of this crap. I had to buy HTML for dummies at the bookstore and teach myself to, you know, create a, a landing page in Adobe Dreamweaver. And I, I slayed it, man. I paid off half a million dollars in debt in 18 months. Like, and so I think now the easier we make it, you know, it's kind of like selling all these BS weight loss hacks on the internet. We're not helping people lose weight. We're helping people get fat because they're like, they're starting to dissociate the result from the challenge or the difficulty. And, um, mean, meaning, meaning they think it's, uh, it's eventually going to be so easy to lose weight, losing one of these products. So they might as well just eat more now. And then later yeah. on, they forget to use the products or and that's, that's part of it. They, it's, it's okay to compound the problem right now because the solution is easy and accessible whenever I'm ready for it. And also, uh, we're, we're making, we're externalizing the focus of the solution where the solution becomes the magic software, the magic bullet, the magic bottle of pills, instead of the solution being grit, bloody knuckles, sweat on the brow, and just doing the damn work that most people are not willing to do. Like, and I, you know, I, that, whatever, that's a, a cultural commentary. All that said, I built some amazing software that is going to solve a lot of people's problems when they go start a digital business. And it's called Entresoft, uh, software for entrepreneurs, right? E-N-T-R-E-S-O-F-T. 
we built this amazing software to solve problems. And my intent is I want to remove every excuse possible, not because I think, here's the caveat, not because I think that's actually going to increase success. I actually don't. If I'm being my cynical, honest self, I think we could eliminate all the mechanical excuses in the world and we wouldn't statistically change um, success outcomes one bit. But what we would do is we would eliminate plausible excuses and force people to have more honest conversations with themselves. Hmm. And if I can accomplish that, at least I've done something most people did. So how will it help entrepreneurs, the software? Um, a, it'll eliminate most of your technical excuses to force you to realize if you're not getting success, it's because of you, not the platform. B, it will, uh, for the person who is ready to succeed and do the work, um, it'll, it'll move you so much further, so much faster. Like what does it do? Like what's the functionality? So it's, it's, you know, start, start thinking of it as like a funnel builder. Like, okay, I want to, I want to sell my, I wrote a book and now I want to sell it. Right. And I don't want to, mm -hmm. you know, hope that Barnes and Noble picks me up. I want to take some control. Okay. Um, so I build a landing page that says, Hey, you know, opt in here to be on my list. And, you know, for my pre-launch or, or to get advanced notice when I release the next, the rest of the book, I'm going to publish the first three chapters. I don't know. Sorry. That's a horrible offer, but you make some page with a thing that people can opt in to get. And then you connect that page to a page that delivers the thing that they opted in for and tells them about more that they can get, right? And then the next page has a, a shopping cart where it's like, okay, if you want the thing, click the button and it loads up and they transact and it integrates a merchant account and you can collect money and it, it triggers an email. So they get a, a receipt and they get added to a list so that when the book does come out, you can send them a notification and like all the mechanical moving technical parts of a digital business or of the digital face, even of a brick and mortar business. They have, they have been things that we've been, uh, you know, trying to systematically reduce barriers to so that more businesses can access them because they're basically essential in the modern age. So that's part of what it does. Um, but then it has a lot of really, really intelligent tools on the side of like messaging and multi-channel conversation. So you want to have somebody put their email in on that page and maybe capture a phone number and you want them to get a text message if they do a certain thing and you want them to get an email if they do a different thing and you want them to, you know, so it does that. It, let's say somebody hires you to build them a website and you want to be able to duplicate your own website and then make changes starting from there, all of inside of one system, you can do that. Let's say you really like somebody else's site and they are, they're like, oh, well, you should copy my site and they can create a snapshot that you can import into our system and auto-generate a pre-done website so we can really? provide them 50 50 websites, 50 snapshots that they can just load up for any type of business they could possibly want. Like it does so much. I don't want to so, turn this so into let's an say, infomercial. But. No, but let's say I wanted to start a social media agency mm -hmm. and let's say I start off with, you know, so I put up some ad or some, somehow people want me to manage their Instagram account and they go through, they, they see the landing page. I'll manage your Instagram account. If you don't get double your customers in a month, it, you know, no pay, you don't have to pay. Um, and, and so they opt in and say, like, yeah, sure. I'll let you, uh, do this and double my customers. And then they, they sign up, they get an email and then potential is there potentially, is it easy to put in an upsell? Like if you'd also want me to manage your YouTube channel, you know, click here to find out more uh, or, you know, and so yeah, on, or if, or if you or want if like, like to 12 add months my... for, for X dollars, like a cheat, a discount, then totally. Yeah, so they, we can even, you can even use it for like di delivery of digital products. So it's like, Hey, if you want to click here to get my free, you know, ebook and accompanying video series on how to grow a successful YouTube channel, add that to the cart. And when you check out and it'll automatically 
you know, create a, a, a coded copy of, let's say, the PDF so that it emails it to them. And when they open the email and they open the PDF, you know that they got the, you know, it knows it was them that opened it. You know, they accessed the product. And if they try to say, I never got the product, you can be like, well, actually you opened it yesterday afternoon. So, you know, it's just all kinds of fancy stuff. Yeah. That's great because I didn't even really fully understand what a funnel was until just now. So, um, even though I've worked with them before a thousand times before, but it's basically you have a landing page with an offer and, uh, if you don't accept the offer, maybe there's a down sell. Like I noticed you didn't do this. Would you like to at least be on my email list or something like that? Right. And then, or if you buy the product, there's an upsell. Like, Hey, if you would like a year for only 50%, there's this, uh, and then there might even be an upsell from that. Like, Hey, if you want a lifetime, it's mm -hmm. this. And, uh, you know, and then it's also keeping track of all the emails and then let, let, okay. Here's another example. I know someone who sells, uh, paintings that she does and you know, someone buys a painting and there's, you know, she has a landing page, an Instagram site. And if someone wants to buy a painting, they, they go in, obviously their email address is put on a list and so on, but there could be an upsell. Hey, if you want a, me to do a portrait of you, you know, I offer that. So that's an upsell. Or mm -hmm. if you want notifications of the next, of when I put the, these, these artworks on clothing, you know, click here, put your phone number and I'll text you. And so you can buy right, you know, before I run yep. out. And so it does all of this. So it's all of it. Yeah. And let's say you actually, you know, then you got to ship them the order, right? So they buy, um, and it's got us post, uh, let's say you use a print on demand house. Let's say they bought a t-shirt, right? Um, and you need to post a notification, whether it sends an email notification or it injects a script or it uploads a file via FTP, like what you got to let the fulfillment house know, Hey, we got an order to fulfill, right? Um, it, it can do that too. It, it's yeah, it's wow. just, how long did it take you to easier. build the software? Did you have a bunch of programmers? Yeah, yeah. So we actually started with a, a software that was basically built primarily for agencies. So mm -hmm. it had some native functionality. We got our own iteration of, of the code and the license to do whatever we wanted with it in perpetuity, right? And then um, we've built just a bunch of additional functionality on top of it to account for a lot of different use cases that we know and that we teach. Um, Cause we do teach a variety of different business models and we know the issues that people in those different businesses face. And so we built the, you know, I think that's one of the things that really differentiates our software is that we're business model agnostic. We're not like trying to make everyone into affiliate marketers. We're not trying to tell everyone to create a course. Um, but well, we just described examples of one's an artist. The other was, um, I even forget what it was, but it was completely different. Yeah, yeah, a social media marketing agency. Yeah, yeah. Say, right, and and we built it. But how, as entrepreneurs that have done these things, I mean, I've done all of those things I just described. Um, you know, I built the software I basically wish I'd always had. So you might end up being, uh, you know, a software company rather than an educational company. Between you and me, behind closed doors, which I'm now opening on your show, we oh, we're not going to tell anyone. No one's yes. listening. Thank you. Thank you. We already are. We say that all the time. We're, we're, a, we're building a software. I mean, we say, I, I say all the time. I mean, we literally beta launched the software a week ago to our, to a, a private group internally. Um, we're, we're, we're launching it next week to a larger group of our members about 10,000 of our members. The month after that, we're launching it to a larger part of our list, which is about a hundred thousand students. Um, and then, you know, probably Q3, we'll be doing big, grand, public, look at me launch. And, um, but even already after week one of the 50 person beta test, 
uh, we're already de describing ourselves internally as, hey, we're a software company that uses education as a, not as a loss leader, but as, a, as an acquisition. You know, it's it's so interesting. By the way, this meta model of building a business, which I'll about be about about to describe, is very valuable. So I've seen a lot of businesses, and th this is a fatal mistake I made in the '90s, not understanding the model that you're kind of describing. So a lot of good businesses start out as an agency, and you know they perform some service for a client. Like in your case, you're teaching clients entrepreneurship and helping them set up their businesses. And that could, that, and, and you've done it in a scalable way because online courses and stuff like that are, are scalable. But then even more scalable is to productize what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So if you're saying, if you're teaching, well, you need to build this funnel and then you need to build this and you need to build this and you need to build this and here's all the software to do it. But now you're selling the products to actually do it. That's productizing what you've been teaching. So like I, I there's this company, Buddy Media, that is always a classic example for me. They start, they knew that in 2007, Facebook was going to be big for corporations, just like the web eventually was. And so they started selling, you know, corporations first teaching corporations, what Facebook is and how to use it. Then selling, essentially they were like an advertising agency or an, a Facebook agency helping companies like Pepsi or co or whatever, fortune 500 companies get on Facebook and maximize. But it was like a client. It was like a, agency client relationship. Like they would personally handle the client. And then they, they saw that most of their clients were commonly doing like polls and these games and like these formats. So they just, they created, you know, basically menus became menu driven and all these things they automated like, okay, you want a poll on your site? You want this mm -hmm. game on your site? You want this, this, this fill out these forms and it's done. And they went from being, you know, raising money at like a $30 million valuation to switching to a software company and then selling for $800 million to salesforce.com, which is the mm -hmm. premier software as a service company. And so that is the model. You, you manually do stuff until you see what works and what doesn't and boom, you automate it and you're done. And I think too many businesses try to do it in reverse. They try to automate what they think is going to be useful, but you don't know until you do it a thousand times, what's going to be useful. Yeah. You're, you're so right. Um, we, we've taken a very deliberate approach and I think a lot of people just try to rush and I'm glad they do because it, it means it's like we were talking about earlier about man-made odds versus math-made odds. Like I'm the, the man-made or the, the math-made odds of saying, Hey, I'm going to launch a, a unicorn software company are very small, but again, the, who's in that denominator, right? The, the man-made odds to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to take uh, three years. I mean, I'm, I'm going to describe to you very quickly now my life for the last three years, I'm going to take three years and I'm going to launch you know, a billion dollar software company, right? Or let's say I'm gonna take five years because it hasn't happened yet. Um, I'm gonna start and I'm gonna do it on a budget of $20,000 and I'm not gonna raise any money. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna start driving around in my car with my phone, with my cell phone right here. And I'm gonna start shooting videos of myself talking about things I know to the world and saying, hey, I'd love to help. Here's some free value. I'm gonna do that for a year. And once I have a lot of people listening and at least knowing that my heart's in the right place because I'm giving stuff away, I'm not asking for anything. Then I'm going to create a course and I'm going to start actually selling some education. And then uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to take two weeks, build a course. I'll edit it myself. It'll be pretty low-fi, low-tech, right? I locked myself in a hotel room and just came out when the course was done. And I'm going to start selling it. And I sold, you know, $300 on my course on day one. Um, but that's okay because 18, 20 months later, I'm going to have, you know, 
let's say 50 million, 50, $60 million plus a year run rate business, right? Just selling education. And I've built a list of a couple million people. I've built a social following of hundreds of thousands and millions more who at least see my stuff. And I've got, uh, you know, I can afford developers and I can do all this stuff. And I've got, uh, you know, a, a ton of data now about what people are into, what people are learning, what people are doing, what problems people are having. I go have, I have a database of support tickets I can comb through to say, okay, what's every problem I could conceivably try to solve with a piece of technology. Then I'm going to create my own software. And I'm going to come out of the gate as a software company. And the reason most software companies have to go raise money is because it, it costs more to acquire a software customer typically than they make back in even the first six or 12 months of having them as a customer. Right. And that's assuming the software works and doesn't blow up in their face, right? And software is notoriously buggy. But that's okay because I actually already have a business. It's acquiring, you know, 10 to 20,000 paid customers a month with education that all need some software that does what roughly what my software does. And then I'm going to use all that critical mass to launch my software and try to go from zero to let's say a million dollars a month MRR with my software in three to six months and two to three years from now have a billion dollar software company that never needed to raise any money. That's cool. I'm just going to do that. I'm going to do that instead of starting with the assumption that launching a software company is hard and I shouldn't do it. And that's what I did. Yeah. And I, I, it seems I've invested in a lot of software companies. It seems to me you're on a good track here. So, and, and that's what I mean about man-made odds versus math-made odds. If I had asked anybody three years ago what they thought of my idea of launching a software company, do you think one person who cared about me would have said it was a good idea? You know, I might not have even have said it was a good idea. Like hearing you describe it after you've done it, you know, in terms of making the software, it definitely sounds like a great idea. I almost want to, I want to tell you, I want to invest. But uh, if you had just told me that, I would have said, hey, Jeff, you're doing fine with the selling the online courses and there's already software to do each component of what you're describing. Yeah. And by the way, I'm going to sell my agency. I'm going to, I'm going to sell, I'm going to fire sale my agency to get out of it, to create the time to do all that. Bear in mind, I cut off my, 30 to $50,000 a month personal income stream so that I could do this. Yeah, see, it's it's uh, it's fascinating because I probably would have been one of the naysayers. I probably would have told you, hey man, you can't skip the line on software business. Yeah, right. Um, but, but, you know, and you're doing fine with this other business, so what are you doing? But uh, uh, it makes total sense. And if you're solving, if you know you're solving problems and you have the, the people you've taught to basically kickstart selling the software, you know, they're going to certainly use your software if they've already running a successful business because of you. So you've got a built in, you know, first customer base and then word of mouth will, and advertising will take you know, yeah. advertising with all the principles of marketing and social proof and authority and testimonials and mm -hmm. all that stuff. It's going to be a massive success. And again, all of these things, and I forget if we talked about it here or on your podcast, but it's, people need to have a mindset, not only of, I can do this, but every time they succeed at one thing, they should say, I can scale this. So what's the next step up to scale this? Yeah. Like, do I, um, do I franchise the model? Do I create software to automate the model? Do I, uh, expand like, okay, I taught entrepreneurship. Now do I teach, um, you know, physical fitness, like what are the ways to expand horizontally and vertically? And they should mm -hmm. always challenge themselves that way. And that should always be the next step up the mountain. Cause that's how you create a, a like you say, a billion dollar software business is it's always the next, the next thing to scale.
Always, always. Yeah. And, and yeah, I'm glad you said vertical and horizontal. You know, this concept of vertical integration uh, is so powerful. And for, you know, once you create the, the, the minimum viable customer acquisition model, um, you know, you should be vertically, you should be thinking, okay, what else can I sell that doesn't, that doesn't cost additionally to acquire new customers? And then horizontally, you should, you should be thinking, okay, what can I, what can I, and horizontal, I think comes later, but you know, for us, the horizontal expansion is say, okay, cause actually, if you think about my business model, all I'm doing is reaching the, you know, and there's, it's a huge mark, market, millions and millions of people that are like, okay, I have a job and I still need to make money, but I want more freedom. So I say, okay, we'll become, you know, learn these skills and you can, you know, become potentially become an entrepreneur or at least create different opportunities for yourself. Even, you know, it's not that you, everybody has to start a business or become an entrepreneur, but you do have to change how you get paid in the world. Maybe you need to become a freelancer. Maybe you need to get self-employed. Maybe you need to start a side hustle while you keep your job. Like you have to, you know, whatever, change that part of your life. So I have millions of people doing that, but what about all the people that are already in trades where they're doing that? What about all the real estate agents? What about all the insurance brokers? What about all the, mm. you know, uh, even, even chiropractors? What about all the, you know, self-employed freelance service type of people out there who also need to learn these skills? So I can start bringing in category experts and, you know, there's real estate agents. Like I know a lady who does you know, I think at the peak of her career, she was doing $20 million a year in real estate commissions or something. I mean, something wow. just next level. You know, what if she teaches a course to take all those 3 million real estate agents in this country and not try to turn them into digital marketers, just turn them into successful realtors because 2.99 million of them are not. Because that's a, an industry with a horrible, again, horrible math made odds. And uh, I can start taking on these different industries and you know, you, you look at that horizontally and then you look vertically going with software, how big can Entra get? Like, I don't know, it's, 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 it's actually pointless to speculate. It's more fun to just put my head down and do the work. But all of this, because three years ago, I was smart enough not to ask anybody's advice. And to the extent that they gave it to me anyways, I was smart enough to ignore it. And that, if anything, I want I'm, people listening to this show, it's not like I, I'm saying, well, go compete with me and do what I'm doing. But trust me, that's not what I'm saying. But go go improve your life by doing your, your version of what I've done, which is all possible when you actually believe in yourself. Yeah. It's so interesting. You've given me so many ideas to tell my friends about what they should be doing. So this was great. And, and Jeff, you're always uh, a friend and a friend of the podcast. You should, you should come on more often. Like I love talking about entrepreneurship because here's the thing people are suffering right now. Like they really are. They don't know what to do and they're scared. Everyone says, for instance, oh, you know, LA will get back to normal. New York City will get back to normal now that we have a vaccine. What about the million people who might've lost their jobs or left or been laid off or, or gave up or never started when they were gonna start and now they're afraid because what if it's a, there's a shutdown again? People need to know people need someone to tell them it's okay and that they're going to be okay and just try these different ideas and try them in as least expensive as a way possible. And here's help. And you're not going to find satisfaction going the traditional route. That just doesn't work anymore. And maybe it never worked, but it definitely doesn't work now. And I think, you know, companies like yours and, and people like you are, are helping these people. So I'm, I'm grateful you're on, on the show 
you know, helping my listeners. I love it. And I love going on your show. I, uh, I, yeah, we, we need to do it, do it many more times. I, I will say the other thing about, I think what, what, what people have experienced in the last, let's, you know, year, year and a half, year, a little over a year now, we went through it and I'm actually a little bit, this is going to sound really dark to say, I'm actually a little bit disappointed that things are resolving themselves with relative, I don't know, it's happening, let's say. And it's, it is, there is a sense of like, oh, things are going to get better. Because you know what, what like pisses me off is we went through a period of a year, like the, the zeitgeist of 2020 is whoever expressed the most fear and indignation got the mouth, got the, got the airtime. It's true. Like in the beginning of the whole pandemic, they were saying, I remember, I think it was the New York times. I don't want to say incorrectly. So, but I think it was, might not have been one article I read said there's going to be 140 million deaths around the world. Right. They took, they assumed all 7 billion people will get COVID and that there was a 2% fatality rate. It's 140 million deaths. And so I had to go on the podcast and explain what pandemic math was. And people wrote me lots of emails thanking me for explaining that. Like everyone was terrified and terror sort of ruled the world. Yeah. And then again, I thought, I thought people were in denial over some of the realities, like lots of restaurants and businesses and so on were going out of business. That was the issues that really needed to be confronted, but people were in denial of those, but too accepting of the virus data. So just staying at home and frozen and waiting mm -hmm. and, and then scared about money, like food lines in New York city were like two blocks deep. And so, uh, you know, hopefully now some of these problems will get solved. And, but I think people have to take it on onto themselves to, to solve their financial problems now and not just hope for jobs to open for a little while and then close and then open and so on. Like, and I think this is, a, I strongly encourage people to, to listen to this advice and, and do something. Amen. But I just echo everything you said. And I hope that if there's ever a round two, we'll go, you know, round one really sucked, man. There was a lot of fear and a lot of misery in the world. And the virus went away long before the misery did because there's a lot of people whose lives are permanently affected. Next time we go through something as a, as a species like this, let's maybe let the people who have empowering messages have the mic and who are being proactive and entrepreneurial in the way they approach these problems. Maybe let's let them be in charge the next time. That's such a good point. And I, and the, the key word there too is species. Like, we had this real opportunity and I spoke about this on the podcast, basically uh, uh, pretty much a year ago today. We were, this is the first thing in our lives we were going through as a species, like every corner of the earth, uh, or not even world war two or world war one really was the whole world. This was the whole world, like every continent, every country and so on. And I feel like we blew this opportunity to really bond even a tiny bit closer. I think it drove us apart and it be, because of politics in America, actually, no matter what side you're on, I think politics and media drove us apart to a large extent. And hopefully, you know, the next time we have an opportunity like this, we, we really use it to, to change the world. And unfortunately this time, I don't think it happened. No, I don't either. Not, not in any change for the better sense, but uh, that's, yeah, that's a big, a big conversation. I'd love to have sometime. Excellent. Well, uh, Jeff Lerner, I, I can't wait for your software to come out. I might get it, even though right now I might not have a use for it, but I'll figure out a use for it. And uh, uh, let's let's reconvene soon because we always have like great conversations. I still 
po- point people to the podcast about you describing, and this was, we did on the fly, just out of, we turned a conversation into a podcast about how to become, you know, you dropped out of school, high school to become a professional jazz piano player. And you described that. And I just thought that was a wonderful story and a great podcast. It's one of my all time favorites. And so thanks once again for being a regular on the podcast. Yeah, I, I honestly, I skipped the line and I did you it. Did. And at that time I wasn't smart enough not to ask people's input. And everybody told me I couldn't. Yeah. Uh, thank God you didn't listen to them. And that kind of set the model for everything you did since then too. Mm-hmm. That's what people don't understand is that you, sometimes you could do something that doesn't seem, oh, you're never going to be a billionaire being a jazz piano player. Well, A, there's a chance they might be wrong again, man-made odds versus math-made odds. But B, it created a mindset in you that you know you can do something that seems impossible mm-hmm. yeah, and that nobody it. else is doing. So I'll, I'll leave it with that. This is, this is do the impossible. Thanks once again, Jeff. Of course. Thank you, James.